Pray with me. Father, as we open your word together, we pray that our hearts and minds would be open to receive what your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Transform us to be more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we have a, a wonderful friend back in Texas that we spent a lot of time with, especially during the pandemic. Um, it is hard to describe how wonderful this lady is, how much our family loves her. Um, she's like a grandmother to our kids, and we spent as much time with her as we could. And I love everything about her except for one thing. She's a die-hard Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> you can't do that in Dallas. That is like cowboy country. But she is just, I mean, she has Packers jerseys and pillows and socks and lawn chairs. I mean, everything. She even has that foam cheese head that looks like a big block of cheese you put on your head. And she's had my children wear it. <laughs> But the thing that was really hard to get over is during football season, on Sunday morning, she would show up to worship in a Packers jersey. And I told her, I'm not sure I can serve you communion in that. The Lord would not approve. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. You might be a diehard sports fan, or you probably at least know somebody who is. What's fascinating to me is what, what leads us to make the choice to choose that team? How do we get to that point? Now, what studies have shown, and yes, there have been studies on this because there are studies on everything. What studies have shown is it mostly depends on who raised you and what teams they liked and where you live. Not a ton of thought is going into it. Now, you do have some of the bandwagon fans. You have the people who go, that's just an awesome player, and I want to follow them, and that becomes their team. But for the most part, it's where you live, and it's where you were raised. I want to ask this morning, how does God make a decision on whom he wants as king? So last week, we looked at 1 Samuel 8, where the people chose a king. And their criteria was we wanted somebody big, attractive, charismatic, who can lead us into battle, just like the other nations. What does God look for? How does God make his decisions? Because this week, God's choosing the king. Now, you have Bibles in your pews. I want to invite you to open them and follow along with me in the sermon. We're in 1 Samuel 16, which can be found on page 450. Oh, I'm sorry, that's 2 Samuel 15. Let's back up a little bit. 1 Samuel 16, which is on page 403. 1 Samuel chapter 16. When God makes his choices, number one, he looks to the future and doesn't allow the past to trap or dictate where he's going. 1 Samuel chapter 16, page 403. 
Everybody found it? All right, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Here's what I want you to notice. David is in mourning because the king that he's been supporting is being removed. David is in mourning because the king has failed. David is in mourning because he loves the people of Israel and they're losing their king. And there is a place for mourning and grieving. There's a place for our anger to get out. There's a place for us to deal with our past. However, look what God says to him. How long will you do this? I have rejected him. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. It's time now, Samuel. The past is the past. You have mourned that enough. It's now time to move into the future that I have. When God is making his decision for a king, he doesn't allow the failures of the past to dictate or drive what the future will hold. Instead, he says, it's time. Get up, fill your horn, let's be on our way. Now, there's another part of the past that Samuel has to deal with. Keep going. Verse 2. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. There is fear because here's what's happened in the past. Samuel has stood up to Saul. Samuel has let Saul know, God has rejected you. Well, a king's not going to take that lightly. And right now, in order for the prophet Samuel to get to Bethlehem, to get to Jesse, he has to go right through the town that Saul is staying in. And so as, day, as Samuel looks in the past and he goes, but he's going to kill me if I come to him. God says, no, we cannot let the past control our future. And so here's what he says to him. Keep reading. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So what his plan is, is this. You are about to anoint a new king. That is a holy moment. So I want you to take a heifer and I want you to go and make a sacrifice. Because if you are bringing your sacrifice with you, there's no way anybody's going to attack you. He's protecting the prophet as he makes the journey to the future. When God makes his decisions, he is not letting the past completely control or trap him. He looks to what he has for the future because God can see potential. God can see the movement forward. And that's what he wants everybody else to see too. So my family, we have always wanted a garden. And I will tell you, it's hard to have a garden in Texas. The seasons just don't work well. It is so stinking hot for so long. So one of the first things my wife and I did when we got here is we went and started a little garden. It's in pots, but we are growing, or trying to grow, I shouldn't say we're actually growing, 
We are trying to grow strawberries and raspberries and blueberries and tomatoes and peppers and asparagus, although I think we're going to give up on that because we found out it takes like three years to get your first ones, so we may not do the asparagus. makes a pretty little plant. But our tomatoes are not doing great. And my wife has been studying this, trying to figure out how to make these things grow well. And what she found out is that you can overwater tomatoes, which is really interesting. I mean, water is what they need to grow and thrive. You would think, can you actually get too much of that? And the answer is yes, you can actually get too much. And that's what I think about when I think about our past. So what I don't want you to hear me say is the past doesn't matter. We need it. And we need to actually mourn and grieve over things that happened in the past at times. We need to get angry. We need to let the emotions out. We've got to work through those things. However, if we stay trapped in it, it's like overwatering those tomatoes. It's giving too much. And we won't grow. We won't thrive. We won't become what it is God has for us. And so as God is making this decision, he lets Samuel mourn, but he says, that's enough. And this morning, some of us might need to hear that in our own lives. That's enough. You've mourned your past. Now you've got to let it go. Fill the horn up and be on your way. Move into the future that I have for you. That's the first part. Here's the second part. When God is making his choice, he looks at the internal over the external. When God is making his choice, he looks at the internal over the external. So look at verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. You've got to remember, there's a battle going on right now between the prophet and the king. Those are two people you don't want to get in the middle of. And so when he shows up, they're like, we don't know why he's here. We don't know what he's going to do. We have no idea what Saul's going to do, so they're afraid. However, they asked him, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Get yourselves ready. We're getting ready to do something really special before the Lord. So consecrate yourself. Set yourself aside for this special moment. What is that moment? He consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And remember, he has come to anoint the next king. And so Jesse brings his sons. And the first one, the oldest one, he is attractive, he is tall, he is charismatic, he is Saul 2.0. And when he gets there, the prophet Samuel sees him and he thinks to himself, this is him. This is the Lord's anointed. Now, I want us to just as a side note here, I am fascinated by the prophet's response. Because the prophet is a man of God, filled with the Spirit, who's been faithfully serving the Lord all his life. And yet in this moment, he completely gets it wrong. He is judging the situation exactly as the people did. I mean, he even went through the moment where he's like, why would you do this? Why would you reject me? Why would you reject the Lord? And yet he's looking at a man who looks just like Saul and going, ah, here he is. 
here's part of why it fascinates me. I should say this. It humbles me. If Samuel the prophet can make a boneheaded judgment like this, how much more can I? It also says to me, how much grace should I have with other people? Because if Samuel can do this, and I know I can do this, all of us can do this. And it should humble us and give us grace with other people. Here's what the Lord does with Samuel. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God is giving a lesson to his prophets. You have done the same thing that people are doing. You do the same thing that most people do. You are looking at the external only. And you are missing what's underneath. God says, when I make my choices, I'm not looking at how tall you are. Or how attractive you are. Or how old or how young you are. I'm not looking at how smart you are. And you can see this in the disciples. If you think of the men that Jesus chose to follow him, none of them are highly educated. None of them are the people you would initially think are going to turn the world upside down. They are regular blue-collar workers. And yet Jesus chooses them, and they completely change history. Because God is looking at something different than what we might look at. He's looking at the internal. He wants to know, what do you value? He wants to know, how do you think? What motivates you? He wants to know what you're really about, what makes you tick. Not just what you look like. Not just how strong you are. Not just what a lot of people would look at when they look at you. God's looking at something else. I want to ask you a question that I only want you to answer in your head. Don't answer it out loud. How many oceans are there? And then can you name them? So, until this week, you should have said four. There are four oceans until this week. When National Geographic declared that the Southern Ocean is now a separate ocean. Maps will be changed. As kids go to school, they will start learning about the Southern Ocean that you and I really didn't learn about. Why? If you just look on the surface, it looks like every other ocean. Why would you do this? When you get underneath, you find that this one section going out to 60 degrees latitude away from Antarctica, it has thousands of species that no other ocean has. It is colder and less salty than the others. And it has a current that is faster than any other current in any other ocean. But you can only see that underneath. Scientists have been talking about this for decades. In fact, back in 1913, they actually declared it one 
And there was such an uprising that they decided not to. So it's been in the works for a very long time. But now it's being recognized. It's not just the surface. It's what's underneath. And if you really recognize what's underneath, it can have an amazing impact, as it will in this case, because my children are going to learn about an ocean I didn't learn about. It's a pretty big impact. God looks at what's underneath. He looks at your heart. What's your heart like? And the real question I want to leave all of us with is this. What is God's heart like? So what God is looking for is a king after his own heart. What God's trying to find is somebody who will lead his people, who values the same thing he values, who sees the world like he sees the world. And so to see who that person would be, you might ask the question, what is God's heart like? This week, when I send out the weekly email, I'm going to include a number of verses, and I encourage you to go look them up. I am simply going to briefly tell you them real quickly instead of having you look them all up. If you go to Exodus 34, you will see where God passes before Moses and declares his name. And he declares who he is. And here's what he talks about. His love, his faithfulness to people, and his forgiveness of people. Those are key characteristics of who our God is. How do you love how faithful are you, and how do you forgive? Those are key characteristics of our God. When Jesus is sitting with his own disciples and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, that commandment is love one another as I've loved you. Again, love. When Jesus declares why he came, he said, I did not come to, to be served. I came to serve you and to sacrifice myself. Service and sacrifice are key to the heart of God. And you see them all through Scripture. And the last one is this. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. You've likely heard the parable. But when he talks about the sheep and the goats, and he talks about the ones that the Father is going to say, well done, good and faithful servants, it's those who have served the poor. Those who have served those in prison. Those who have seen the suffering of others and made a difference. Because our God's heart is to help the suffering. So think of these characteristics. Love, faithfulness, forgiveness, service, sacrifice, and then giving ourselves for the sake of those who are hurting, suffering, poor. That's the heart of our God. How close is your heart to that? That's his heart. Speaking of how you see things, I want to end by giving you this visual. Um, my kids have a virtual reality goggle set. And it's a Star Wars virtual reality headset. So when you put it on, you get to hold a lightsaber. And you get to see another figure over there and have a battle with somebody else. You can fire lasers. 
You can see things blowing up, and you just move all over the room doing this. And if you are not wearing the goggles, that person looks so ridiculous. Because <laughs> you're standing out here, and you cannot see anything they're seeing. They are just going all over the place. They're hitting things and falling over the couch and knocking people over. And, and you're like, you look stupid. <laughs> because they are seeing something that nobody else is seeing. God sees things that we are not seeing. But he invites us into it. My kids just put that on recently. And there's something wrong with it. When you put it on, it just kind of flickers and it's this kind of, and you can't really see anything. It's broken. I feel like the fall of man, our sin has broken our ability to see as God sees. However, with the Holy Spirit in us, by being forgiven and by coming to our God, he can change and fix that brokenness and let us see what his heart is like. And let our hearts be changed to be more like his. So that we can then serve as he would serve. That's what we're looking for today. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. Your forgiveness, your faithfulness toward us. Thank you that Jesus would come to serve us instead of us serving him. And that he would sacrifice his life on our behalf. Lord, give us a heart like that. That would be like you. And let us use that to serve those less fortunate than ourselves. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.